Hello and welcome to Live Full. My name is Joey Schwartz and this show is all about helping followers of Jesus experience the fullness of Jesus. In this episode, we're continuing to walk through nine biblical guardrails for tongues. And this time, focusing on where we should practice tongues and how we should desire tongues. That's where we're going. Let's get started. been such a joy to hear how God, through His Spirit, is moving through this extended series on the gift of tongues. So we'd love to hear testimonies from you to the glory of God. To share how Jesus is encouraging you specifically through this topic, you can either leave a review as a kind of public testimony, or you can email me at joeyatcaradox.com, and I would love to hear So far in our series, we've seen that the gift of tongues is a God-given, spirit-crafted language that fuels prayer in the spirit and forms Christ in us. In the last episode, we started walking through biblical guardrails for tongues. How do we practice this gift to the glory of God? Now, we have a lot to cover in this episode, so I want to go ahead and dive in. But first, a recap. Let's remember the first four guardrails, and if you didn't get the chance to listen to the last episode, go back and listen to that first. We're picking it right up here. The first guardrails fell under the category of the guardrails of humility. Guardrail number one was do not exalt tongues as ultimate. And guardrail number two was do not diminish tongues as unnecessary. Those were the guardrails of humility. Then we talked about the guardrails of love. Guardrail number three was do not let the gift of tongues create a heart of arrogance. And guardrail number four was always use the gift of tongues to build up the body of Christ. We got all of that from 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13. And now that brings us into a new category. We're going to talk about the guardrails of context. Specifically, how should environment and context dictate how we practice the gift of tongues? So let's start with the fifth guardrail. It's a guardrail of context. Number five do not speak in tongues to an assembly without asking God to interpret. Let me say that again. Do not speak in tongues to an assembly without asking God to interpret. Here we are getting at the heart of Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 14. What's the context of this chapter? Let's start there. Early in the letter in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 4, Paul is tackling division in the church that's coming from arrogant boasting against one another. Some were identifying with Paul's camp, some were identifying with Apollos' camp, and they were splitting up into factions. And then in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 through 23, Paul says, Why are you boasting in one another? Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours in Christ. Now, with this issue of arrogant division within the church in mind, Paul moves in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, to addressing how this divisive pride affects their corporate gatherings. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Do you see that? He's turning into an extended discussion about 
maintaining unity and love in the assembly of the saints. And this is the context in which Paul, in the following chapter, chapter 12, starts talking about the spiritual gifts. And this is why Paul spends so much time talking about how the parts of the body are working together and ensuring that they don't boast against one another, because he knew the Corinthians and we are so prone to boasting and division. So Paul, and I'll add through the spirit, God commands the Corinthians and us to be zealous to build up the body in love whenever we gather together. This is the context guiding 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and thus the context that is informing Paul's instructions about the use of tongues. He wants to make sure that the Corinthians are using the gift of tongues to properly build up and not to stir up division in the corporate assembly. And so with this in mind, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He says, be zealous to love one another when you gather and to do that with the most potency, especially desire to prophesy because that gift is going to especially help you build up one another in the assembly. Let's continue to verse two. Paul says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Okay. Listen to what Paul is saying. Earnestly desire to build up and prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Tongues is not speech that's meant to be spoken to people horizontally. It's speech that's meant to be spoken back to God upwards vertically. Now, continuing in verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Okay, do you see that contrast? Paul says, earnestly desire to love one another when you gather. Focus zealously on building up. And that means you should really desire to prophesy. Why? Because when you speak in tongues, you're speaking words from God vertically back to God. But when you speak a prophecy, you're speaking words from God horizontally to people. Tongues is meant for prayer. Prophecy is meant for people. So if you want to be zealous to build up people, especially in the assembly, earnestly desire to prophesy. This distinction explains the tension here. Why Paul gives so many guidelines for the Corinthians speaking in tongues in the corporate assembly. Because speaking in tongues to people is by definition a deviation from the essence of the gift. Follow me here. Paul is saying that tongues is prayer to God. So if you're going to use the vertical gift of tongues, a prayer language to horizontally prophesy to people, then you need an interpretation so that people can understand what you're saying. Okay, I wish I had a whiteboard here and this is going to maybe get a little bit nerdy. You're gonna be brought back to like science or math class. And if you're a visual learner, I hope this helps you. And if this goes over your head and it's a little bit confusing, just hang with me. I'm just gonna use this brief analogy in case it's helpful or a brief picture in case it's helpful and then we'll move on. Okay, so imagine with me a diagram, like on a whiteboard, a diagram. And on the left side, you have the gift of tongues. And this is represented by an arrow in a U-shape. So that arrow is coming down and then going back up. That's the gift of tongues. It's a language from God that we've never learned that's meant to be spoken back to God in prayer. It comes from God down 
and then we're supposed to speak it back up to God in prayer. So you have your U-shape tongues on the left side. Now imagine on the right side, the gift of prophecy. And this gift is represented by an L-shaped arrow, an L-shaped arrow coming down from the top and then flattening out to the right. That's the gift of prophecy. It's a message from God that's meant to be spoken to people for their encouragement. Picture the U-shaped tongues on the left, words we receive from God to pray back up to God, and then picture the L-shaped prophecy on the right, words we receive down from God, but to speak to people horizontally. So here's Paul's point of emphasis. He's saying in 1 Corinthians 14, if you're going to take that U-shaped tongues, you see that on the left side of the diagram if you're a visual learner, if you're going to take that U-shaped tongues and speak it to people as if it's an L-shaped prophecy, you need the supernatural empowerment of God to translate it from a language that no one understands, that's meant for God, to a message that people can understand that's meant for people. The gift of interpretation turns the U-shaped tongues into an L-shaped prophecy. But Paul essentially says that while God can do that, it's much more fitting to use the gift of prophecy to prophesy and to use the gift of tongues to pray. Let the U-shaped tongues be U-shaped. They have a good purpose in the kingdom. And then let the L-shaped prophecy be L-shaped. And that is best for the building up of the body. Okay, if I totally went over your heads with the math science diagram, we're back. We're all back together. This is why Paul says in verse 13, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue, and here he's talking about speaking in tongues to people in the church, should pray that he may interpret. On to verse 18 and 19, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in church. That is key. In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul says, in other words, I use the prayer gift of tongues to pray to God all the time. In fact, more than any of you, I'm constantly praying in tongues because tongues is a U-shaped gift. It's a language from God that's meant to be spoken back to God. But when I'm in the context of the assembly, instead of speaking in tongues and praying for an interpretation, I'd rather just use prophecy to prophesy. Instead of twisting the U-shaped tongues into an L-shaped prophetic word, I'd rather just use the L-shaped gift of prophecy that God's already provided. I told you I was going to leave out the diagram. I brought it back in. I think we're actually moving on now. But here's the guideline. Here's the guideline. Do not speak in tongues to an assembly without asking God to interpret. Do not speak in tongues horizontally without asking God to turn your prayer speech into something that can build up people. That's directly from verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. He's talking about addressing the congregation. Don't do that unless you're going to ask God for an interpretation. Now, here is a tension from the passage. It's in the passage. Later in 1 Corinthians 14, 28, Paul says, If there is no one to interpret, and I think the implication there is if there's no one in the congregation who is known to have the gift of interpretation, if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. In other words, if those who want to speak in a tongue to an assembly discern that there's no one in the room who has the gift of interpretation, they shouldn't even speak it. Now, here is the tension that I see from this passage. 
Should we only speak a tongue to an assembly when we absolutely know that someone in the room has the gift of interpretation? Or is there a measure of risk-taking faith involved that verse 13 implies? That maybe we sense that the Spirit wants us to speak in a tongue, and so we pray and ask Him to provide an interpretation, and then by faith we speak a tongue to the congregation, believing that God will reward our obedience by providing an interpretation. And I believe that the answer to this tension from 1 Corinthians 14 is yes, When the Spirit gives us inward confirmation and assurance that we should speak in a tongue and that He will provide an interpretation, there is a measure of risk-taking faith involved where we have to obey God and believe that He will come through. And I believe this means that sometimes we will fail. We will speak in a tongue believing that God will give an interpretation and God will neither give us nor anyone else in the room an interpretation. What's important, what's crucial in this case, is that we always acknowledge that there needs to be an interpretation, and we strive to grow in the gift. We strive to improve our discernment in the Spirit, so that next time we can have a more accurate sense of whether the Spirit wants us to speak a tongue to people, or just stay silent and speak to God. In the case that someone humbly speaks in a tongue to an assembly, and then prays for an interpretation to build up the body, and then no interpretation comes, I don't believe that believer should receive a sharp rebuke. What should receive a rebuke is a believer or a congregation that is flippantly addressing one another in tongues without any desire to interpret or any discernment on when they should speak and when they should stay silent. That's clearly out of step with God's will. But we need room. We need room to be able to grow in the things of the Spirit, to fail and then help one another grow in accuracy and discernment without the fear of swift and harsh judgment that could end up quenching the Spirit in our midst. That's the fifth guardrail. Do not speak in tongues to an assembly without asking God to interpret. Now to the sixth guardrail. Do not forbid speaking in tongues to an assembly or in private. This is another guardrail under the category of context. Do not forbid speaking in tongues to an assembly or in private. This is straight from 1 Corinthians 14 verse 39. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Out of an amplified fear of misusing the gift of tongues, many congregations and denominations and believers have turned to the solution of outright forbidding the gift of tongues. And in this supposed desire to be in line with the scriptures, they have directly disobeyed the scriptural command to never forbid speaking in tongues. Because speaking in tongues carries a risk Some have chosen to mitigate that risk by doing exactly what Paul warned us not to do, forbidding tongues. Here's the reality. If we do not leave open the door for an interpreted tongue to be spoken to an assembly, we're grieving the Spirit of God, who could very well desire to speak to us in that way. Now, some churches outright forbid tongues, but other churches don't say they forbid tongues, But a pervading culture of fear around the supernatural, around the things that can't be planned and controlled by humans, this cultural fear implicitly forbids tongues just the same. 
And the Spirit of God, I want to say this with grace, the Spirit of God is grieved by both approaches, by outright forbidding or by a cultural fear that essentially forbids tongues. Some even go beyond forbidding tongues spoken to an assembly and forbid a private prayer language in tongues, which means Paul himself would be at the top of the list of forbidden believers. I don't say these things to condemn anyone, but I do say these things to warn us. When we push back a gift that Jesus has graciously given us with a smile, we grieve his spirit. We dishonor his generosity, and we cut off the church from the benefits of his power through this gift. That's the sixth guardrail. Do not forbid speaking in tongues to an assembly or in private. Now to the seventh guardrail, another guardrail of context. The seventh guardrail is freely practice the gift of tongues in prayer to God. Freely practice the gift of tongues in prayer to God. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 18 through 19, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul tells these charismatic Corinthians, hey, I'm confident. There's not one of you who speaks in tongues more than me. I speak in tongues all the time, more than any of you. But in church, I'd rather not. I'd rather a sentence that people can understand than speak a two-hour-long sermon in tongues that no one understands. So here's the question. If Paul's speech is constantly coming out in tongues, but tongues doesn't come out much in the church, when is he doing this incessant tongues speech? In prayer to God. Paul is constantly praying in tongues to God. And given what we've learned about tongues, that it is, by definition, a God-given, spirit-crafted language that fuels prayer in the spirit, this makes sense. Paul says, when it comes to speaking in tongues to others, I'm very careful and selective. But when it comes to praying in tongues, I do it freely and all the time. So this is a guardrail. Actually, this is more like the wide-open highway of the gift of tongues. If you have the gift of tongues when it comes to your prayer life, You have the green light from God, the blessing, the shining face of God upon you to pray in tongues whenever the Spirit empowers you to do so 24-7. And this is where the Spirit's manifestation of tongues really shines. It's a gift meant for prayer. And so when you employ it in your prayer life, far from causing anxiety or caution or hesitation, it leads to more freedom and joy in your prayer life than anything you can imagine, which by the way, we're going to dive deeper into in the next episode on practical counsel for tongues. Second Corinthians 3.17 says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. When we utter mysteries in the spirit to God in prayer, our prayer life is full of freedom. Now, before we move into the eighth guardrail, I want to tackle a question that I think falls within this category of freely praying to God. Here's the question. Is it permissible to pray in tongues or sing in tongues in a smaller context, only in the hearing of other believers? So you're not addressing them, speaking to them in tongues, but you're praying to God vertically or singing to God vertically, and other believers can just hear what you're saying in tongues. In other words, if I'm praying to God for another believer and that person can hear me praying, 
Is it permissible to pray in tongues? Or in the context of a small gathering of believers worshiping, is it okay to sing in a tongue that someone else in the room might hear? Or if you have a group of people laying hands on someone in prayer, is it okay for the group to be somewhat silently praying in tongues, but loud enough for other people to hear them? There are some here who would give an absolute black and white answer here based on 1 Corinthians 14 and say, no way. The only person who should ever hear you pray in tongues is God. So if you're praying in the hearing of another believer and you feel led to pray in tongues, you're required by God to not do that or to do it silently enough so that no one could possibly hear you. Now, before I give my conviction here, let me say that while I do hold this conviction or else I would not be teaching it here, this is a question that is less biblically explicit than any of the guidelines I'm listing out in these episodes, which is why I'm not listing it out as a guideline, more of a question within this guideline. So like always test all things under scripture and obey your conscience in the Lord. But reading through 1 Corinthians 14, and you've seen in this series that we've done a deep dive on this chapter. Paul's concern for the Corinthians is that they not misuse the prayer gift of tongues, a language that's not meant to speak to men, but to speak to God, verse 2, as a prophetic gift that's meant to be spoken horizontally to people without an interpretation. In other words, they were trying to use the U-shaped prayer gift as an L-shaped prophetic gift without anyone understanding what they were saying. In the gathered assembly, as people are speaking to the congregation one by one in order, Paul is telling the Corinthians not to address the assembly with a tongue unless there's an interpretation. And while he's concerned for the effect that this could have on believers in the room, you can see that in verse 6, he's especially concerned about what addressing an assembly with tongues would do for unbelievers in the room. Verses 20 through 25, you can see it there. What I don't believe Paul is talking about here is a situation where one believer is praying for another in private, or even a few believers seeking God vertically in a prayer meeting. He's talking about an assembly focused on the church horizontally building up one another. And I believe that this does leave the door open for following the Spirit to pray in a tongue in the context of praying in private for another person, or even in the context of a small gathering of believers devoted to vertical prayer. We need to exercise care and love and mindfulness of what God is doing and even the person that's in the room here. But I do believe that there is a door open for this in the spirit. I I found Sam Storm's counsel to be helpful here, which he lays out in his book, The Language of Heaven. He says that whenever he feels impressed that God might lead him to pray in a tongue while he's praying for another person, he will always ask the person for permission. He'll explain that God sometimes leads him to pray in a heavenly language to strengthen his spirit in prayer, and he'll ask if that person would be uncomfortable with that. And if the person says that they would be uncomfortable, then he doesn't do it. But most often he finds that the person just says yes, and he's able to have the freedom to follow the spirit if the spirit leads him to pray in a tongue. You see what he's doing? He's letting love guide the way. I think that's a good principle of praying in a tongue when someone else might hear you. I'm not talking about addressing a congregation with an uninterpreted tongue. That's clearly out of bounds from 1 Corinthians 14. I'm talking about anything from praying in a tongue loud enough for someone nearby to faintly hear you to singing in a tongue in the context of a small worship gathering. Here's the principle. Stay within the guardrails of love and context and then let the spirit be your guide. 
Stay within the guardrails of love and context, and then let the Spirit be your guide. There have been plenty of times when I've sensed that the Spirit might lead me to pray in a tongue while praying for another believer, and sometimes He does. And based on the context, I follow Him into that. But there are other times when I sense a strong check from the Spirit not to pray in a tongue, even if it might be in a an appropriate context. And I trust him in those situations that it could potentially be a stumbling block for that person. And I refrain from going in that direction. We need to practice extra care here because we cannot slip into flippantly speaking tongues out loud to one another without interpretation. What I'm talking about is a vertically focused prayer that another believer could possibly hear you and allowing the Lord to lead you to pray in tongues. Let the Spirit be your guide and also obey your conscience in the Lord. That's the seventh guardrail. Freely practice the gift of tongues in prayer to God. Now let's go through all of these guardrails, the first seven before we move on. So far, we've covered the guardrails of humility. Do not exalt tongues as ultimate. And number two, do not diminish tongues as unnecessary. We've covered the guardrails of love. Number three, do not let the gift of tongues create a heart of arrogance. And number four, always use the gift of tongues to build up the body of Christ. Here we've covered three guardrails of context. Number five, do not speak in tongues to an assembly without asking God to interpret. Number six, do not forbid speaking in tongues to an assembly or in private. And number seven, freely use the gift of tongues to pray freely to God. Now we're going to close by talking about two more guardrails of desire. The guardrails of desire. Very simply, these guardrails are going to tell us how we should desire the gift of tongues. So guardrail number eight. Guardrail number eight, desire the gift of tongues. Very simply, guardrail number eight, desire the gift of tongues. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. When Paul tells us to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, he is including the gift of tongues mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 10. You should desire a God-given spirit-crafted language that fuels prayer in the spirit and forms Christ in you. You should want it. You are free in the Lord to want that. If there is a gift that could possibly give you and others more of God, you should want it for yourself and you should want it for others. Too many believers settle in their knowledge of God. They think, I've had enough. I'm in a good place. I'm gifted in service or I'm gifted in teaching or in administration or in healing. And I'm good. I can roll with what I've already obtained from God until I get to heaven. And with this misplaced contentment, they miss the insatiable desire that marked the apostle who was literally caught up into the third heaven. Philippians 3 verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind, straying forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you, end quote. A mark of Christian maturity is that you are not content with your level of maturity, with what you've already obtained, with the knowledge of God that's already in your grasp. Mature believers are hungry for more. And if God has something more to offer them that they don't already have, they don't sit back and say, oh well. No, they press 
on and strain forward and cry out, God, show me your glory. If God has something more for you, brother, something more for you, sister, don't you want it? If there are gifts of healing that you don't have and a gift of wisdom that you don't have and a gift of prophecy you don't have and yes, the gift of tongues that you don't have, don't you want it all for your joy, for others' good, for His glory? Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Desire the gift of tongues. And if you're thinking, how do I desire tongues? We're gonna dive deep into that in the next episode. Stay tuned. That's the eighth guardrail. Desire the gift of tongues. Now, the last guardrail, our ninth, and this is also a guardrail of desire. Guardrail number nine, above all desire to prophesy. Guardrail number nine, above all desire to prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14, verse one, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Verse five, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Paul refuses to put any one gift on a pedestal, lest the Corinthians boast against one another because of their spiritual gifting. But what Paul does put up on a pedestal and exalt above all things is love. Didn't Jesus say in John 13, 34 through 35 that this is the way the world would know we belong to him? Paul exalts love as the highest priority. And just as Christ laid down his life to build us up, we are to serve our brothers and sisters to build them up in love. And as we do that, we fulfill the eternal purpose of God to become a people who are conformed into the likeness of Christ. Now, because Paul sets love as the highest priority, he positions prophecy as the highest gift. Because Paul sets love as the highest priority, he positions prophecy as the highest gift. The gift of prophecy, which we'll someday devote an entire series to that, believe it or not, will probably be longer than this series on tongues. The gift of prophecy contains the most potency to build up the church in love. When we speak a specific, timely, personal word from God to one of his children, simply put, it has the power to change their life right then and there. I've experienced this. And when you experience the power of prophecy, the power of the Father breaking into the rut and routines of life to speak a word that reminds you of his attentive love for you, you earnestly desire to do that for others. Love, striving to excel in building up the body, as Paul says, should fuel us to want to prophesy more than anything. When it comes to the spiritual gifts, we should prioritize the pursuit of prophecy above all things. That is the faithful response to the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Now, here's the question. Does the supreme desire of prophecy contradict or quench the desire for tongues? In other words, if we are really going after prophecy, do we have to leave behind a desire for or practice of gifts? By no means. Again, Paul, who explicitly said he would rather speak prophecy to a congregation than tongues, that's the priority. He also said that he wanted all the Corinthians to speak in tongues and that he spoke in tongues more than all of them. He says, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. That's how it goes. Paul saw no contradiction between the supreme desire for prophecy and an earnest desire for tongues. And neither should we. Forgive me for the cheesy analogy here, but it's kind of like me saying, I want Chick-fil-A and I want filet mignon. For me, at least, those two desires are never at odds. 
Now, if I have to choose one, of course, filet mignon beats out Chick-fil-A as the finer dish. But does that snuff out my desire for a chicken sandwich? Nope. The two aren't at odds. There may be a priority, but there's no need for an either or choice. As we supremely desire to prophesy, to build up the body of Christ, we should also earnestly desire to speak in tongues. In fact, in my own experience and in my observation of other believers, far from the gift of tongues taking away from the prophetic, I believe that the gift of tongues can fuel the prophetic. When we are praying at all times in the Spirit, we're more sensitive to the Spirit's voice, more attentive to what He is doing in the people around us, and more inflamed with the faith needed to take holy risks for God. The gift of tongues helps me to set my mind on things that are above. Colossians 3, 1, 2. Even when my mind is weak, and this in turn helps me to seek the things that are above, including prophetic words. As I pray words from God back to God, I long more and more to speak words from God to people. We've covered nine biblical guardrails for the gift of tongues. Let me walk through them all. We started with the guardrails of humility. Number one, do not exalt tongues as ultimate. Number two, do not diminish tongues as unnecessary. Then we moved into the guardrails of love. Number three, do not let the gift of tongues create a heart of arrogance. Number four, always use the gift of tongues to build up the body of Christ. Then in this episode, we shifted to the guardrails of context. Guardrail number five, do not speak in tongues to an assembly without asking God to interpret. Guardrail number six, do not forbid speaking in tongues to an assembly or in private. And then guardrail number seven, freely practice the gift of tongues in prayer to God. We close by talking about two guardrails of desire. Guardrail number eight, desire the gift of tongues. Guardrail number nine, above all desire to prophesy. We have covered several biblical guardrails for the gift of tongues. We have laid out what does God say about the gift of tongues. In the next episode, we're going to shift into some practical counsel for how to approach desiring the gift of tongues, talking about the gift of tongues, and growing in the gift of tongues. That's where we're going. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to this episode of Live Full, where our mission is to help followers of Jesus experience the fullness of Jesus. You can find articles, devotionals, resources, and podcast notes at caradox.com. And to stay updated on everything we release, sign up for our Three Things Thursday newsletter at caradox.com slash three things. Thanks to Charlie King for creating the music for this podcast. Thanks to our Caradox partners at Patreon for making this ministry possible. All of our listeners, thank you. This show exists for you, so thank you for listening, reviewing, and spreading the word. Until next time, give your all to know and love and experience the fullness of Jesus. Because life to the full is life in Christ.